0: Welcome to the Middle Age Ish Podcast, authentically and unapologetically keeping it real, discussing all things middle age ish, a time when metabolism slows and confidence grows. Join fashion and fitness entrepreneur Ashley Badoski, former Celtic woman and founder of the Lisa Kelly Voice Academy. Lisa Kelly, licensed psychologist and mental health expert. Dr. Pam Wright, and highly sought-after cosmetic injector and board-certified nurse practitioner, Trisha Kennedy-Roman. Join your hosts on the journey of middle age Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode
1: of middle age Podcast. I'm Trisha Kennedy-Roman, and I'm joined here today with my co-host, Ashley Badosky, Lisa Kelly, and Dr. Pam Wright. And today, we are honored to have with us Lieutenant Colonel Jason Pike, who has served over three decades in the Army and is a decorated combat veteran, and has written two books. One, A Soldier Against All Odds, and the other one is Out of Uniform, Back in a Civilian Life. So we are excited to talk to him just about his long military career as well as his books. So welcome to our show. Thank you so much for coming on. So excited.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been something else, getting these books out and uh, going on to my passion right now and creativity. But, uh, yeah, it was a long time in the army. Awesome. Well, thank you for your service. We were talking just about yes. what a sacrifice
1: it is and how much we appreciated how much we would not be able to hang with yep. being in the military. So we yeah. have a lot of admiration for those who can't. Amen to that. Yes. Well, yeah,
2: I nearly got kicked out myself three different times, but that's in my book. Oh,
1: so. oh. that sounds
3: juicy, though. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's very, very
2: juicy. Oh, no, yeah.
3: So how did you pick the path of military?
2: Well, there was not a whole lot of options. Uh, academics were out of the question but I did get three college degrees, but it was just, I don't know, I, I was not a criminal and I was still, I was physically fit and I uh, think I could have passed the entrance exam. And uh, But no, that was because there just wasn't much options or I was from a small town called Fingerville, South Carolina, which is a town in uh, South Carolina, northern Spartanburg County. So that's kind of why I kind of put my foot in the door. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how that worked. So what cap you, because I mean, like Trisha said, you
3: were there, you served for over three decades. And we appreciate anyone who serves, but you made it a career and led you to where you are now. So like, how did you just, I mean, not to sound cheesy, but stay in the fight?
2: Oh, there was just so many benefits I found out. It was not just the retirement system, which is an excellent retirement system, but it was the travel and the opportunities to see other things, other cultures and people uh, that I would never been able to have seen if I didn't join so once I got in i I was thinking you know this is this might be a pretty good deal for a long term uh right career, mm-hmm. you know. and you lived in multiple countries, correct oh wow, five different countries nine about nearly nine years uh overseas uh we got Germany got Afghanistan El Salvador, Korea a lot of time in South Korea, and some other countries that I can't talk about but a lot of my time was uh, overseas that's amazing
1: mm-hmm so, I know you mentioned your multiple degrees, which is awesome because I know just by reading you know your bio that you had a lot of difficulties when you were younger. so I think that that's really cool, I mean you were definitely an overcomer with that. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey yeah. through and how how that came about?
2: Yeah, I surprised the hell out of my family there no doubt about that. and my high school counselor too but no uh, no my uh, I was learning uh, identified when I was seven years old as someone that was a slow learner the There was a term floating around called dyslexia, but it wasn't diagnosed officially on that. Even after I had my college degrees, a standardized test to me and any type of instruction, I I think all your viewers out there can change a tire much better than me. I mean, if you give me the practice to do something, I can do it, but I have to work at it harder and I'm slower. Right. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. are like, uh, you know, I mean, you you don't know how to do it. But no, I had to work. I had to work at it. And, uh. Uh, A good question would be, how in the hell did you join the Army? Because you have to pass a basic entrance exam. And I started in the National Guard, which was the less than best. We were weekend warriors, one weekend a month, two weeks a year, drinking beer and goofing off. But they used to call us nasty girls or no-goes, things of that nature. But uh, so I went in at the very bottom is rank and education. I went into a junior college and I I got my basics up and then I went transferred over to a reputable college, Clemson University. Right. So I started real slow and methodical and just kind of worked my way in that way on education, which was, to me, even to this day, is, is, is difficult for me.
1: So you started out then enlisted and then you ended up, obviously, as lieutenant colonel. So kind of went in. You made it work. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, made it work. Yeah, then there and then in the reviews of the first book, A Soldier Against All Odds, there's folks that knew me and says he surprised the hell out of me, <laughs> and I kind of like, I kind of this is kind of fun to surprise everybody about what I'm doing, and and just I wouldn't I was a quiet guy, I, I started talking a lot later on in life, maybe after uh, some of my siblings said I didn't start talking until I was age thirty or my, my confidence was low, <laughs> oh, I was those quiet siblings. <laughs> <laughs> But, I, yeah, it was just a slow, methodical, and, and, and many times a painful process. Once I got in, I, I see, I almost got kicked out when I was age 17. I, I had failed. I was older than most people in high school, and I never, I never said anything about me failing the first grade and having problems learning. My high school counselor knew about it and some others, but for the most part, it was kept sort of a secret, I guess. Age 17, I almost got thrown out. I went into a criminal correctional facility. Not because I did anything criminal in the army. It was just because I wasn't able to drink the damn water that was coming out of that fire hose. It was coming too fast. You had to learn things quickly. And I was one of the worst ones there. And uh, it was a motivational program, criminal correctional facility. To They made big rocks into small rocks and climbed obstacle courses. And it was a shitstorm. It was much, much more advanced than just Bay. It was a much more degree of hill. And I uh, come out of that, I graduated basic training when I was 18. And in my brain at that time, I'm thinking, I think I can do a whole lot more because I people just don't understand what I just went through. And uh, I started g- gaining a little bit more confidence. Got got my first girlfriend after that, but uh, <laughs> so but yeah, so things started working out real. Slow. I said, well, I think I can go to college, and uh, even though they tell me I can't, I, that's the way I to become a leader. You got to get a college right. degree, mm-hmm. and so uh, that's how that started real slow from a junior college. Yeah.
1: So you started in the military when you were
2: seventeen. Seventeen, I was still in high school. I hadn't even graduated. Oh we called it nasty girls National Guard. I mean, you didn't have to have a high school diploma. Yeah. So uh, I think they just slipped me on through, and they, I, I, I feel that I probably failed the test, but they just wanted numbers and things. <laughs> but uh, and once I got now. my foot in the door, man. <laughs> once I got my foot in the door, it was in the door. So uh, yeah, age seventeen, I was a junior. Well. Yeah, I was a junior in high school. They don't do that now. You have to be older, don't
4: you, now, to enlist?
2: Definitely, you you need to have a high school diploma okay, to go into okay. the Army. I don't know about the National Guard or the Reserves. I don't know uh, if they'll let you in without a, a high school high diploma school, yeah. or a GED. But at the time, in the Guard, <laughs> I just remember I had to get my mom's signature. I remember that. And I was like, okay, she'll sign off on it. But uh, other than that, yeah, I don't know these days.
4: So which was scarier than like being in the Army or doing your college degree?
2: <laughs> oh, I was scared to death walking into a college classroom because that was a place. Oh, yeah. It was well known that this is a place that's out of line for me. And, uh, and But you know, once I got the first semester, the second semester, I started to slowly building up the confidence right. and that then, I, think, I think I can handle this. And, you know, it wasn't in anything technical. It was in education. So I was uh, on a slower path, maybe the five, five and a half year program. At the same time, I was still in the reserves or, or the National Guard, and then i be. I got a ROTC scholarship. I applied. Well, I applied once and failed, and got it on the second try. But and I went to Clemson and was able to get my degree uh, in agriculture education. I was from a rural background, and uh, and that's what you needed. You needed a bachelor's degree, and that was my goal. And I got that. I was able to get that. That's mm-hmm. incredible.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So you talk about gaining confidence, but obviously, as you went up in ranks, you were responsible for a lot of people and a lot more people as, as it went on. And so, I can't imagine having that responsibility of having platoon or. You
2: know. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, you're a young guy and you're in charge of maybe 20, 30, 40 people, and they have a lot more experience than you. But leadership was pounded into me early, and I got leadership pretty well as far as just treating others like you want to be treated. And to me, it was sort of common sense. and you give the task down to your uh, subordinate leaders, and they allow them to carry it out. And I did well with that. I did well with that. So uh, that was something that they taught us: to trust your, your leaders and trust your subordinate leaders. And and I did well, and I was never, as uh, you can probably detect, I would, ne- I never thought I was better than anyone. I was, I felt always blessed that I was in the position I was. Yeah, but those are the best leaders, <laughs> I
3: think. The ones that continue to have a humble heart. Yeah. And they lead by example. I think that that actually shows how you were able to overcome what you did and and move on. Because I think that's that's so important. I think in life, yeah, is that nobody's better than anybody else. You got to work just as hard, if not harder.
4: And having the knowledge that you need to continue learning as well to make yourself better. I always think it's because we all run our own businesses. But I always feel it's nice to be able to sit back and listen to others' opinions and take it on board and not be <laughs> so full of yourself that you're not available to learn or listen or gain some new knowledge all the time.
2: Oh, yeah. And I was definitely all for, you know, help me out, man. Help me out. I, I don't know. Oh, and I, but yeah, that exactly. I agree with that full heart. I yeah.
1: think too, just the fact that it didn't come easy for you. I think that that, again, as a leader who can understand other's struggles and, and be more of an encourager versus someone who, you know, it is very natural and easy for them. I think that that, would make even a stronger mm-hmm. leader that to overcome those challenges to be able to work hard to get where you wanted to be. I think that's really cool.
2: I was always empathetic with the folks that did the work at the bottom because I used to be there myself. So right. I, up, yeah. They, yeah, That term they call that term Mustang in the military. Someone that came from the lower ranks and made it up. And uh and I yeah, exactly hump being very yeah. humble.
1: Because is that common, you know, for people that are enlisted. I know there are I remember hearing warrant officers and such, but Is it common to then go back and become a commissioned officer?
2: At the time, it was not. Uh, It's more common now. They have programs where they try to get enlisted to become officers. But I was in an era at that time that it was not common. And once you're enlisted, you sort of have the tendency to stay enlisted. Because once you go become an officer, you you go down to the, you're down at Butter Bar, which is the second lieutenant, which is at the lowest of the officers. You're still in charge of people and you're still higher up there. Make more money, but still. It's more common today than it was when I joined.
1: So your book, I know, talks about some of the struggles you went through working your way up. And um, does it cover a lot of events through your military career as well?
2: Yeah, so I say pretty much it uh, goes into detail. And I pretty much I'm very, very vulnerable uh, with everything that I've done, uh, good and the bad and the ugly, which is really hard to get the vulnerability thing because I grew up in the South as a man. And, you, and you're in the military, you suck it up, you take it all, you don't complain. but in the book, I pretty much gave it all up, <laughs> and uh, it's that was the hard part of the book is to to have somebody work with you uh, to get the details of girlfriend problems, car crashes, jealousy, all the human rage, emotions, fun, all those things, and just pack them together uh, uh, as a life, and that was real difficult because you got to think, well, what, what are they going to think about me, and they might think that this and that, or and destroy your friendships or your so, really, uh, that was the really hard part of the book is just vomiting it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: But was it a healing process for you to be so raw and vulnerable?
2: Yeah, it was a healing process that uh, I got over a lot of things that I had hang-ups with. And, right. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, there was a healing process to this, and definitely was. Mm. We talked
5: about how it's so hard to adjust to coming back to life here if you've been overseas or you've been at war and those oh, kind of things. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. That's so how was it for you? I mean, was there like some PTSD? Oh, yeah. Was there other things going on or?
2: Oh, yeah. I burned. I got PTSD uh, really later in my career before I even went to war. I got my PTSD from a like a mean girl event that occurred in the military where I had a bunch of false accusations that were thrown against me for things that I went through a federal investigation of espionage against the U.S. government on But in organizations such, or it could be cliques or things. If if things don't fall into place too well with leaders, they can. There's things that they can do. And I and I started developing PTSD later. I was a senior military officer, lieutenant colonel at the time. That was before I went to Afghanistan. And then, of course, my father's death in Afghanistan really solidified that. Yeah, and you talked about getting out and the transition and. You, you think about all those things that you did overseas. It doesn't have to do with war. It could have to do with just being a team member. It could be the foods, the the taste, the smells, and the, all the things that. And then you're back in America, and you are oh, drive by Popeyes, and you feel like you're going to throw up. It's just you. And you go. You go back to all the other things all that were that you remember, and uh, sometimes you miss and kind of wish that you were back. But once you get the PTSD and that forms in you, and you're and you you're getting burned. Burned out. Then I. That's the reason I got out was I needed. I needed to heal. I need to find something to heal.
5: And I think people don't realize how because I've worked with a lot of veterans with PTSD, like the little things that can set them off. It just could be like a you know plastic bag that's going across the road, and they think you know reminds them of like a bomb or something. You know, just little things that can like trigger those like thoughts and memories that can be Mm -hmm. yeah. For me, it
2: was it was yeah. It was loud noises for me and a backfire of a car, uh, things of that nature. Any loud. First, even even my daughter, if she was to burst out her, you know, her iPod with some sound, it would, it would give me a little shock and reaction. But uh, I live now in the countryside, where it's much more peaceful, where I have the nature going on. But um, yeah, that's th- those things can they can trigger you, and you might go back.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, I like think that's something we really take for granted. You know, they, I just can't imagine having experienced those things and mm-hmm. and having those type of
4: triggers and and be able to come through it. Yeah, you know. Such a large, a large chunk of your life, too. Like, it always amazes me that, you know, people are kids when they go into the army, like they're 17 and 18. And, you know, we have sons all around the same yeah. age. Like, I know they're not emotionally, uh, you know, mature enough to handle sort of anything, really. And you're thinking that these poor kids are heading off into the army and dealing with things that they've never had to deal with before. It It's yeah, just yeah. the sights that, yeah, the things that they have to see, as you, as you well yeah. know, so.
2: Yeah, and a lot of a lot of them don't stay as long as I did. They'll they may go in for three or four years and come back, and they'll go back to their same town and everything's changed. They well they have changed, but also other figure. Once there's an old term called "once you leave, you can never come back," and so they feel that they're out of place. But you know they've changed. The uh, people have changed, and they're different folks as well. And um, you have to establish wherever you want your pattern. I mean, they may have driven tanks and rode in helicopters just freely and wildly. And then now they're bagging bags at Walmart or something. And they're like, what is this? What's up? What's up with this stuff? And uh, they don't feel the camaraderie. They don't feel the excitement. Uh, I used to drive a tank over this, this, this. And now I'm doing this. I'm driving a truck, driving, you know, so it's not the same thing. And the hard thing when you come back as well is
4: you, you don't realize that people have moved on as well. so they've moved on away from you. And you think you're longing for something that was there like two or three years ago. And then you go back and... Everybody else has continued on with their life, and you're like, oh, this is this is different.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, so this this thing about suicide, and I, there's a whole lot of it's an animal that we've been looking at for over 10 years or more, and it's it's a we haven't got our hands wrapped around it, Well, we have. No.
3: yeah, because that's what we were talking about, just the focus needing to be on the veterans coming home mm-hmm. and to make sure that they're taken care of mentally, spiritually. And there is, it seems, I mean, to a lay person who doesn't have any background like you do, just the disappointment in how veterans are treated and the agencies and the services that they need just for us hearing, if we even listen to the news, you know, how that has to be a struggle for someone like yourself that, you know, you did, you were there for 31 years and you went through that stuff to come home or just to see other veterans in those different situations.
2: Yeah, because you come back home and you you deal with the Veterans Administration, and uh, I deal with the Veterans Administration in my second book, Out of Uniform and Back into Civilian Life, and I I try to break it down for folks. It's more of a self-help guide with links, and I, I do speak that the Veterans Administration is a difficult beast. It's the largest healthcare agency, a huge bureaucratic organization that's difficult to get through just because there's so many different hurdles. And I try to tell them to stick with it just like anything else in life and uh, to work with it the best you can, because a lot of folks think, well, that's where my money is going to come from or where that's where my health care is going to come from. And it might be there's going to be, yes, but there's second and third order benefits to belonging to the VA. Then they don't they don't understand there could be free cars, adaptive housing, how right. to get in and out of housing with ramps. And if you can't drive or a house, if you can't afford a house, if you've, you're under certain conditions, you can apply to become a homeowner for free. But you've got to be rated. You've got to have that VA rating. And uh, and then if you've got PTSD and you're impatient and you don't want to work with it, that can be some struggle for the veterans. Yeah
3: I just think that's so sad, though. I know. Like, I think it's, again, it's just one of the biggest injustices. Mm. In a world full of injustices, that that is how our veteran not how
2: all veterans, but I mean, I do feel like it's a large percentage of veterans. Yeah. You're going to hear the horror stories. Among- Personally, with me, I did well, but I had prepared for it. And I kind of knew what was, There was a good problem that I had, which was the person who was supposed to help me was not around and wouldn't help me. And so I went in and figured it out on my own. I went into the, re- right. which, I, which I don't recommend. Because it's a big, it's like, you know, you go to the tax man and you give them your taxes. But I had to figure out a whole lot, lot of things on my own. I had the time to do it and it took me a while and I got the paperwork in. I came out rated really well, relatively fast, which was five months. Uh, but a lot of them don't have that uh, ability to read and have the time to go through the regulation. The the best thing to do is really get a good veteran service officer that's that will put the stuff in that represents you. It could right, your be advocate. A, your advocate. Get the good yeah. advocate. It could it be the good. American Legion. It could be the VFW. It could be a whole, but and, and get them that are certified and know what they're doing. Mine wasn't around, but I did it. But yeah, that's the biggest takeaway is get a, a good representative to represent you and, and just stick with it. Because once you put that paperwork in, that's where it starts. Once it's stamped, that's where it starts. And that's where you get your back pay. And so, but I, I just try to try to encourage folks to try to hang in there because it's much more than just your money monthly and your health care.
1: Yeah. Right. What would you say is one of your biggest
2: lessons you learned from your years in the military? Oh, just show up at the right place at the right time with the right attitude, even if you don't know a damn thing and you'll be doing much, much, much better than most people because when I showed up at the right place, having the right attitude, um, that maybe show up a little earlier so you can talk to some people in the meetings and get a, get a personal basis with them. And that'll help you out a lot as well. And uh, and even if you don't know, a lot of ambiguity out there in the military, a lot of, a lot of times we don't know what we're going to be doing or where we're going and and you may not know what to do and uh, you, you got to form together as a team. And if you show up and you have a good attitude, maybe even 10 minutes before a meeting or a formation and, and just get on a personal level before the any instructions occur is my biggest takeaway.
1: I think that's a really good lesson. Mm-hmm. For, that's a I life lesson, just do to do show
3: up, have a Positive attitude and do, do what, job. It, yeah, and do what you need to do.
2: Yeah, exactly. The leaders will take note of it and uh, stay true to your core and whoever you are, be that person because they'll they'll know a fake in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's so true. Did you start writing your book while you were in the military? Was it after you got out you decided to write a book? It was after I got out. It had been nagging on me in the military to do it, but I definitely wanted to be out of the military before I did. Because there's just so many deep dark secrets and things, and so yeah, uh, right. But then I uh, I didn't even, I, I didn't know how to write a book. I don't know how to market a book, uh, but I I failed the English of all things, and uh, so that is my and English is my worst subject. Writing and reading are, are my worst subjects, and um, I'm from the South. We say y'all, not you. I mean, there's just so many different <laughs> vernacular. Yeah, we so. spell phonetically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, South Carolina school system we're 49th in the country, and the only one lower than us is Mississippi. So, yeah, but I wanted to get the stories out, and uh, I wanted to put that out for folks because I was a storied character in a way, and uh, I thought I had some uh, something uh, to give uh, back uh, to folks that uh, is not just life lessons and just, oh, my God, type of things. It's uh, humorous as well, funny stuff that occurred, and, and just everything of life that's all wrapped up in, in a military memoir biography. And has the
4: Army moved on in that it's more supportive of people with learning disabilities or is it a better environment to be in these days? Because I'm, I'm sure people are more aware of everybody
2: learning differently. In those days, it was not heard of at all. I didn't hear anybody say, and I, I never did, except one time that I had a problem learning. But I don't know if it is because you're supposed to be competent in your uh, basic skills before you go in. And I don't, I don't know if uh, that is brought up to the, like, well, if you go to a college, you can and I did later on, I figured out that you can get an educational psychologist to write a letter for you so you have extra time or space or place. But in the military, I never saw that happen. I haven't heard of that happening uh Yeah, in the military. I think about when
5: you're younger is such a shame because I do that. I do educational testing now, so I'd. Diagnosed like dyslexia and dysgraphia. I almost like that. Back then, though, it wasn't heard of. And if you had slow processing speed, you were just slow, you know, which meant like, yeah. you know, you're just not smart. So you're slow. And so now there's so much education about that and so much testing that occurs. And people, you know, students get the services that they need. But it's, it's sad to think that like you probably missed that because of the generation that we yeah, grew up. Yeah. Know. You, know, exactly. the fact that you could have had those like skills to like, but it, it put you where you were, which is a good thing, obviously. Right but, um, it's just great that there's more supports and things and information about that now.
2: Yeah, it was in the 90s when I got my second master's degree uh and I did find out just by reading and things or just talking to people that and and I did get extra time on the graduate record exam and I did get extra time on that second master's degree but uh yeah and I and I had to study for it as well. And I and I studied I got a private I hired a private tutor to tutor me through the GRE and uh and I just did Slightly below average, just by doing all that work and having that extra time, but I was able to do
3: it. Well, it shows with dedication and passion and belief in yourself, like you mentioned earlier, that you can do this. Like, you a label is a label, it doesn't go to the core and like the purpose of how driven you are. Yeah. And I think that that's such an amazing thing is because we now hear all these different labels and And you have to stay in this little, like, this is your category now and to show that you can, that that actually is not the right way to do it. Like, if Mm -hmm. if you have a strong belief in yourself and you know you can do it, whether you learn differently or not, Mm -hmm. you can do it and you can make an impact and not have to stay with just a label. Right. And I think that's
2: amazing. Yeah. And I I had a label until I went to Army and then I said, well, I'm going to break... I'm going to right. break it, no, break
3: but it I think it. that's what's so <laughs> encouraging about your story, you know, because there's so many of those out there that have gone through the same struggles and to see that, no, okay, you, you have to take a moment, mm-hmm. but with self-confidence and you just saying, no i I want better I'm gonna do better and I'm gonna get better
2: yeah and I did I got better and better and better and surprised what the world are you doing and so yeah in <laughs> the world you got rank you got this but and even as it should be <laughs> as it should be yeah. so what encouraged you to go back to school or to go get the degrees like what what was that choice so to become senior in the military or in the army where you had to get a master's degree <clears throat> and so I went ahead and chose well, a second master's degree, and uh my wife was saying, you ought to get a PhD. And, I'm, and I was still like, no, nah, I, like, I I can just, just let me just get another master's degree in my area. But education, I felt that was a key to a whole lot of things I learned. Yes. Mm-hmm. To me, I, and I, I took it pretty serious, as you can imagine, in college. And I enjoyed learning. I, I found a way to enjoy it, but I was just slower at it. I mean, even right now, there's a book I want to read, but I'm just real slow at it. And I have to just methodically go through the process. But um, it's not like I'm going through 10 books a year at all. I'll, I'll go through one and, and learn it and just. And I, I was a bit creative as a leader. I, I had a creative strength to me and I, I applied. I would apply the information. One of my professors said, you know, one little piece of information that's applied is better than 1 million accumulated facts that are not. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because so true. It, and then I would have found ways to apply things that I learned. It may just be one or two things, and uh, that worked out pretty well for me.
5: So, for people who struggled with like maybe the same things that you've had to deal with, with you know the reading and writing things like that, what would you tell them? Like, what advice
2: would you give people to keep them moving forward? Just like you, keep them motivated. Keep them motivated. If there was a recommendation from Emory University, and my mother and father didn't do it, but if you could get them specialized into an area, there might be a particular piece of instruction where you could go and learn reading comprehension much better maybe apply and try to get into that specific school or training or certificate if you can do that. And then, of course, if there's clip notes uh, or, or abridged versions to the book or the material, do that. It, whatever is a summary. Uh, and then when you're in a classroom, I would sit at the front and be the, one of the first ones in and show uh, that the prof- that you're interested and in, that you're a serious student to the professor because there's also personality dynamics that go into a classroom. So, uh those are the few tips. I, I would take a lot of copious notes with a recorder, and, and then after my class instruction, I would immediately review it for five uh-huh. minutes only. And I, I would only go in 10 to 15-minute segments, and sometimes I would change my location of where I was physically at and present. To, mm-hmm. Or sometimes I found a way, it was kind of an animalistic skill of eating and drinking uh, anything while you're reading or studying because there's sensations that are going on uh-huh. while you're learning. And if you've got the... Pizza or some sweet tea or whatever, whatever you like, and you're reading and studying, that helped me a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, three by five cards do wonders. Just, yeah, get no, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: Multimodal, mm-hmm. incredibly self aware, though. Yeah. Did you like, did you come up with those things yourself, or did you have somebody that would eventually say, try this, try this?
2: Well, I had to, there was a tape out, uh, a VHS recorder, or uh, where there's a wheel, there's an A, is in the letter grade. Yeah. And I, and, and I have a chapter on where there's a will, there's an A, and I sort of sum it up on how all the world I did that. And I, I wrote notes down from that tape and then I applied them uh, in my studies. And uh, that helped out a lot. And a lot of people think, well, i got to spend a lot of time driving. Well, I found a recorder and I would just listen to a recording of my voice. Yeah, so I got that on my own and just creativity and slowed looking at it. Uh, where there's a will, there's an A, and then I would apply it. Sometimes I would touch the paper. I would physically touch the paper, I would read it, and then I would record myself. And then sometimes, well, you have to drive to class, you have to drive somewhere, and i just push the recorder on while I was driving, and I would hear myself as well. That would give me some extra time uh, to rehash it. And it was a, Usually, it was multiple rehearsals and relooks. Usually, when the test time came, there was no cramming for me. I knew I was going to make an A. And so, because uh, right. wow. I, I, it's just, a, and everybody else was running around at the last minute, I was I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'll go out and drink some beer, you know.
5: But I love the fact that you really overcame. I mean, you learned ways. You didn't, you know, you self-aware. Yeah. Like, okay, well, I've got this, so I can't do it. You're like, okay, I've got this, but I've got to find ways to do better and overcome. And it's more work.
2: Mm -hmm. I did, even though I have the book, A Soldier Against All Odds, there was one odd, there was one thing that was on my side. My father believed in me and uh, he was a good father, good leader, and he had a good influence on me. And, uh, I think, and he, he came from a very, very white trash, eating dumpster food type of a poor, uh, tying rags on your feet poor. And he said, well, you know, I, I made it well, and that means you can make it well. And, uh, and there's no way I could have compared. I, I was never hungry. I never had to steal food. But there was in, I was looking at someone who was worse off than me, thinking, you know, uh, you know, he's my example, and he had it much worse than I did. So I think I can do something. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think that's important to have someone believe in you, whether
1: it's, you know, your parent or teacher or I think that just having that person that believes in you, especially when you're young, to give you that confidence to not just say, hey, I've got these issues. I can't,
2: I can't do this. I think that's important to have somebody that tells you you can't. He believed in me and I did surprise him, which I I kind of enjoy out of. I did surprise him. He says, son, one of his, one of his favorite things was, son, you surprised the hell out of me. He would say that. (laughs) And that's always a good thing
3: (laughs) when you (laughs) (laughs) surprise
1: your (laughs) parents.
2: Yeah, in a good way. It was a good way. Yeah, a good way. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: So with your your first book, how long did the second book come to be?
2: Oh, well, the the first the first book was hell. That was about two and a half, three years. That was more of the vulnerability issue. But the second book came out within six months. It's uh, because we had something to go by. We had the Veterans Administration regulation, which we broke down, and the links to it, and then my knowledge of, of knowing how to proceed through it. And so we had something to go by with this book. To formulate that, and I have a ghostwriter who knows me very well. But no, that was the that was quick. Uh, And I'm working on a third book as well. And so, once you've got a good ghostwriter who knows you, which that took a lot of breaking ground to get someone to know you and understand your lingo and your, and then the second and the third, and maybe more than that, will is more, it seems to be much more simpler, easier. That's awesome. Great.
1: Well, we are really appreciative of yourself. I think that. You are definitely an inspiration to others, especially just showing that those challenges can make you stronger. And we are, again, thankful for you. And we'll definitely list your books on the podcast when we put it out. And thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank uh-huh. you for what you do and what you're continuing to do.
2: You're welcome. Appreciate being on your show.
3: Yeah. I'm I'm giving hope it. to many. And I that's what it's
2: about. It's about yeah. inspiration and hope is what I'm selling here. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I
3: I thank, thank, so you much. So much. thank you so much. So honored. Hey, you're thank welcome. You.
2: Take care.
1: I was ready for you to ask about aliens. I did too. <laughs> when he said secrets, I
5: was like, "I we know," go, but I mean, you guys told yes. me not to ask about
3: aliens. Uh, I
5: oh was
4: man. ready. When he said
5: secrets, I was like, uh, "Oh, here comes did Ashley." You, did, waiting?
4: I'm <gasps> proud of you for not asking. I thought you were going to. They meant to oh restrain. I wanted
5: you so bad. I needed you to do it. I, was, I, I was, was, was waiting for you to be like, "So, can you please tell well, us?" You guys us? told me I
1: couldn't. What life is there out oh, in the
4: universe? He's a sweet. I mean, how he, old is he? Is he all right?
1: He's much older.
4: Is he? Because he said he was 30 well, years in it and he was 17. Pretty
1: recently out. So I'm, I'm thinking he's in, he's in his 50s. 60, 60, 50, 60s. 50s, 60s. But it was said he, he
4: joined it. when he was 17. And he was 32 30 years.
5: But he said that he went to.
3: But that's when he, he's he's masters, ser- he or served, or served his, for 32 years.
5: Okay, so like he was out in his 90s, right?
3: Did yeah, and master's. was during when he was there. Second master's was in his 90s. Yeah, so I'm saying he's in his mid to
1: late 60s. Yeah. I put him, like, um, 50s, early 60s. Yeah. He was like, he wow. So he
5: yeah. ever came a lot. I can't even imagine. Like, That's exactly that. that's,
4: how I had to learn. That's how exactly. Really? Yeah. I'm a terrible yeah. reader and writer. Terrible. I, well, I, think about I had to record my voice. Mm-hmm.
5: Back then and versus now, you know, mm-hmm. there's, like, Dragon Speak, and there's yeah. audiobooks, and there's so yeah, much yeah, yeah. more that so we have. So much more. But
3: back then it was like, yeah. really, you just felt. My like, I dad was not. undiagnosed di- uh, dyslexic. Yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely yeah, undiagnosed dyslexic. Yeah, and so, like, we talk about it all the time because Stephen, my oldest, mm-hmm. was diagnosed and he is dyslexic. Yeah, and so he did like he like he would learn best with a whiteboard written in green, and mm-hmm. he would all like that's how like that's how he would write his wow. notes yeah. and all of that stuff. And so I do like you do hate it for those that yeah. Had to struggle and mm-hmm. it was just, okay, well, you're slow. Like you talked about yeah, Pam. Yeah. I was the same way. You know, I remember that, being That's, in college. that's how I, my, yeah. my that's what my dad would say. He was uh, like, Yeah, I yeah. you know my text my teachers would just say, Oh, he's slow. Slow
5: meaning dumb, right? And yeah.
3: Like seriously, one of same. the smartest, not just because he's my yeah. father, but like seriously so smart successful, yep. super smart. Mm-hmm. But it's because I know even with my boys before they, you know, we had them tested, like they 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 were trying to figure out how to learn and find their own way. But just to go through life thinking, you know, because I feel like at that era when you were said to be slow, quote, unquote, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you were kind of just pushed to the side. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, okay, so we feel like you're slow in learning, but we're going to help you. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, you're You're written off.
1: Right. He could have definitely slipped through the cracks if he hadn't uh, been so yes, to have, oh, yeah. you know, and I just, I think that
3: it's, that's such a good lesson for anyone mm-hmm. in any mm-hmm. genre, in any profession or any level or stage in their life is that the odds were stacked against him. Mm-hmm. He talked about his family and coming from, you know, very, very little to have the, like the self-awareness oh, yeah. that no, I I think I'm better than this. Yeah. And I think I can, I can do be, more. But I can be better.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, so,
5: I mean,
4: I think. Well, and
3: slow doesn't mean, yeah, I remember I would be on,
5: like, problem 10 and everybody started in their test, you know, and I'm right. like, what is wrong with me? Like, I studied. I know this. But it's just, it wasn't about not knowing Processed it. It was just the differently. processing speed, yes. Yeah, you process differently. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people have that whole, they want everything to be different and changed versus just being acceptant. And so to me, he was acceptant. He right. accepted his limitations, but he overcame
3: them by right. working harder. With determination. So like, this is, yeah. This yes. is what I need to do to work harder. And Instead of just it. being like, okay, I have the label or whatever. And mm-hmm. just, yeah, like putting yourself on the shelf Yeah. now, you know, to have like, okay, I learned different mm-hmm. or I have different. Experiences. Mm-hmm. I've had a different upbringing. Yeah. I've had horrible things happen in my life. Right, pushing through, figuring out how to turn a negative into a positive. Right, Everything.
4: um, it must be so hard, like to to hear, you know, that you're slow or like that lingering in the back of your head all the mm-hmm. time of feeling because like those were
3: the experts at the you time. Had your to, teachers, of course, you and they similar, didn't. To yeah. be fair, no, they didn't no, know no. any oh, difference. So you're like, I mean, it was it was just your knowledge. knowledge.
4: Absolutely, they didn't have the knowledge. Right. I, I feel like it was changing a little bit when I was in school, but it still wasn't there. But like, when I think about my uncle, my uncle wrote with his left hand, but he was beaten to write with his right hand. Um, I'm
3: left-handed left. and I was yeah. I was. Automatic made. brightness off. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I... What like my teachers literally tried to change my handwriting, which wow. is the reason that I can do most things with yeah. both hands. You can be dexterous when you know. I would mm-hmm. play tennis, mm-hmm. I didn't have a backhand. I can write now. Now later in life, because yeah. you know I'm 39. <laughs> so, um, but. When I was younger, I mm-hmm. you would not be able to tell which hand I was writing That's with crazy. because they yeah. made me make sure cuz you know back then you had writing lessons. Mm-hmm. You would, that was a class yeah, yeah. like you would have the yeah. lines and yeah, you would, yeah. like in One elementary school schools. and you yep. would have the to tablet. Mm-hmm. yeah, you would have to like tilt the everything mm-hmm. had to yeah. be perfection. I had to learn cuz I refused to write with my right hand. Yeah. So I learned how to write, like, a right-handed person oh, with my left so hand. So hard. Oh, yep. Nice. Smudging like everything. Smudging yeah, everything. It drove me crazy. Well, the desks mm-hmm. were they Right-hand the, ar- desks? They, yep. Yeah, they had the right-hand desk, So mm-hmm. I had to – and then, like, think about the silliest things, scissors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, like, in Helmack, you didn't – you had the scissors that mm-hmm. were indented, yep. and it would, like, cause – not that I'm Helmack <laughs> – Let's not, let's be honest. I am not a sewer, but like I would get like um, Um,
4: blisters blisters on my
3: thumb because I, because every, like they, yeah, because it was supposed to be like bad if you were left handed. There is a thing, yeah.
5: I
1: I know. I I always said left handed people were cool. I said I. I always to write with my
4: left hand. Super cool. I think they're
3: more interesting.
5: I can
4: write with my left hand a little bit.
3: Yeah, no, I now I like I said, I haven't done it in years, but I used to like you would not be able to tell if I was writing wow. left handed or right handed. Like just I just crazy. made my I made myself learn. Interesting. And I remember my grandmother; she would sit with me at her table, and because she had the most beautiful handwriting, and she knew because I'm pretty sure my mom was left handed, and yeah. they made her yeah, change switch. to right handed. Mm-hmm. And I remember she would sit there with me and just okay, now you have to loop this, and it'll look this oh. way, and make sure you're slant. Yeah. When you think about
4: now, they don't even learn to write like this.
3: No. They don't even know how to write like that. They can't do Mm -mm. cursive at all. Yeah, I don't think. I my kids typing. can't read my writing because I
4: write in cursive all the time where oh, Scott I writes in block, yeah. but oh, yes. See, the kids I don't understand mm-hmm. anything I write. My or right. letters
3: looks like Oh, mine I look pathetic, know. too. Yeah, block my, just
4: takes so much time for my me. My
3: writing in general is so bad. I mean, it has
4: gotten bad. But you're a doctor. Mm-hmm. That's I why. I know. I, know. So I was you're
3: like, so you're like, a doctor. You're horrible. not supposed <laughs> to have a good
5: handwriting, Yeah, doctors don't have good
4: handwriting. They have the brain. Did you
5: take typing?
4: Yes. Yes. Mavis Beaton typing. We, didn't
5: have, we didn't, don't we, do that now. We, like, why no, do they need no. to? They don't. Because
4: they figured out you can do it just as fast with your two fingers instead of be like putting your hands oh like you're on a piano. The girls
3: at my store laugh at me so hard when I type because I or like I text because I one finger. <laughs> oh yeah, my <laughs> mom's really? a one finger. Oh my oh well. god, yes, I can. You
4: can't not do like, really? You I, don't I, do oh, two fingers. No, oh, two thumbs. Yes, Two thumbs. I actually have uh-uh. my pointer finger. And I'll be like, my mom does it with her fourth finger." My mom oh, like just oh my
3: this. This is why Ashley yeah. loves emojis. I think I do love emojis. Just the I right could, ones, guys. I know now that I know what some of them mean. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I give thumbs up a lot more now. Actually, since I live in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I, it's crazy. I know. I could seriously. I've said this before. I will say it again. I can write an entire book with emojis, and you're going to know exactly what I'm
4: saying. I, would, I Or others it. are going to think you're saying something completely different.
3: Well, that could be <laughs> it. But in my mind, it's fabulous, and that is really all that matters. In my mind, my emojis lighten the mood. They make you yes, giggle. Yes. You can roll your eyes. I only think you're giggling. So yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. all that matters. So have you tried the t- the thumb
4: texting or no? Never.
3: I have, and it's a night I look like it looks like something weird is going on. I don't
4: know how you text with your nails anyway. Like, well that's true. That's
3: I know like, I do have really long nails. Yes, yeah. like- but no, I use my pointer finger and I'm always like, Hi, how are you? Oh, that didn't work out. Hi, how are you? <laughs>
1: Delete, delete, delete. <laughs> I, mean, I mean it might
3: take me five minutes to say it's how so are you because I'm deleting and but but then I'll throw um. an emoji in and
4: I feel better. Well that Siri thing is the one that drives me inside the voice to text. Oh, she nice. never understands anything I say. You're no, I send nothing. some crazy text because yep, I do same. all
1: talk to text usually. Oh, so. I don't even know how do. to do that. You don't? That's I the
3: easiest no. thing. Yeah. So it's like okay, but this, OK, I can just tell you guys right now, as we all know, this is the reason I'm part of this podcast, because you guys are <laughs> <educating blurred>. me. <laughs> because no, <laughs> the only way that I know how to text with my voice is if I hit the little microphone.
4: Yeah, but there's a blue like sound wave on your. You know where your emojis are? There's a blue sound wave comes I up on going your text to, message. Hold on, one second. Gonna,
3: like, I said this something. to my mom
4: the other day. I was like, "But you can talk to text." Like, I couldn't find my phone to text you. I'm just go. Well, say hey, hey sir. I'm saying it quietly. So, it so like, you can like. Can so, you go
3: to your right. text message no, that's there? Not, okay, so text message. Pick up it.
4: Yeah, and then this blue thing here. This yoke. Sorry. I can't do it with my glasses. But like. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Add recipient to send an audio. So put okay. Trisha in.
1: Trisha. See, I don't know how to. You do the audio messages. it doesn't messages. work. I do talk to text. See, you Hold guys up. are trying to show me something Trish. and it doesn't
4: work. Okay, there's Trisha at iCloud right now. Send your little Just Tap the microphone. I love you emoji. Now you have to tap the microphone. <laughs>
3: oh, see, this is too much. you got to tap stuff.
4: Oh, this is a voice I memo. I love you emoji. Well, that's the voice text. Sorry, I, mean, I gave you the wrong one. That's to send a voice text message. This is the
3: reason I don't do it because there's too many <laughs> options. I use my pointer finger
4: and emojis. Okay. and, emo- and send. Yeah, Because that's a voice text you've sent her. But if you want to, like, go, hey, Trisha, don't forget to bring the wine. Period. period. Yeah, period. <laughs> we don't call them periods at all. Oh, so, yeah,
3: because you hit that little thing right there, right? Yep. Yeah. So what's the difference between that, with the big microphone in the bottom?
4: It's the That's, same thing. That talks to text. It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
2: Got it. So same
3: funny. Thing. I freaking hate technology. I
4: know. Well, are Cheers to showing
0: up and having a good attitude. Yeah.
3: Yep. Yes. Hey, here ma'am. we are. And me cheers. not talking about aliens.
0: Cheers. Woo-hoo. Thank you for joining the ladies of the Middle Agedish Podcast as they journey through the ups and downs of this not young but definitely not old season of life. To hear past episodes or make suggestions for future episodes, visit www.middleageish.com. That's www.middleageish.com. You can follow along on social media at middleagish. Also, if you have a moment to leave a review, rate, and subscribe, that helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Middle Age-ish podcast.